Hello, hello, my glorious princess in the beers. And all I got to say is get ready to crown yourself because we are going to own this crown like my girl Empress says in her song. Today, I have an extraordinary guest for you, as I always do. But this one takes the cake with her name. I found her just while browsing on podcastguest.com. And if you are not a member, I will leave a link to the description below if you want to get on podcasts or if you are a podcaster that wants to get more guests, then definitely get on podcastguest.com. There is an affiliate link below. But I found her by happenstance and yet the universe always delivers, right? Because I was like, reading her bio, I was like, holy moly, Empress. Her name is Empress. She crowned herself literally Empress. How freaking badass is that? Second of all, I tuned into her music because I was like, oh, she's in a crown in her photos. Her, her name is Empress. Like, I love this girl. Now I have to hear her music. And the first single she had on was We Own This Crown. And I was like, holy moly, girl, we are soul sisters. So I brought her on to this episode. In it, we talk about the discipline that dance provided her. We talk about the creative process and why innovation is so essential during these crazy times. We talk about balancing that masculine energy of discipline and hard work with the feminine creative flow and how do you honor that flow and it is such an extraordinary episode I had such a fun time having a conversation with this beautiful soul and you will hear it here we're gonna play we own this crown on this podcast she gave me permission to do it so stay tuned till the end instead of my normal outro we are going to end with we own this crown because you deserve to own your crown and if i have discovered a song that can help you get into that emotional state where you are just claiming your reign by this beautiful human who just created a song that is so empowering then of course I'm going to deliver it for you. So stay tuned till the end and we will have We Own This Crown on the princess and the bee. And now, without further ado, I give you Empress. Welcome to the Princess and the Bee podcast, the place to be to build your empire as queen of your body, business, and life. I'm your host, Kimberly Spencer, founder of crownyourself.com, and I'm an award-winning coach, Amazon best-selling author, and multi-passionate entrepreneur. Each week, I give you the systems, strategies, and success stories to help you master your mindset, communicate with ease, and triple your productivity so you make the income and the impact you deserve. Imagine this podcast as your weekly spark of inspiration as you take it to the next level with all the bees of your life, body, business, bank account, boys and babies. Let's make it rain. Hello, hello, and welcome back to The Princess and the Bee. And I have like an actual princess today <laughs> with me. Today, I have on the show 
Empress. And at four years old, Empress's life was changed when her hands touched the black and white keys on a keyboard for the first time. Her love for music evolved into a career as a professional dancer, and she was one of the youngest members of the San Francisco Ballet. As her talents developed, Empress moved to New York City, where she performed on Broadway as the lead in the Tony Award-winning production of An American in Paris, one of my favorites. Today, her career comes full circle as she creates music as a singer-songwriter, but she will never stop dancing. And you can find her beat at empressmusic.com, well, empress-music.com. And... I honestly, when I saw this amazing woman, I thought that there is no one more in, in alignment to come on to crown yourself and the princess and the bee than Empress. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You're right. You were, you were like the glass slipper that just fit perfectly with what I, I'm, I love everything that you're doing. It's amazing. Thank you. I have a feeling we're going to be dropping so many princess metaphors. <laughs> Yeah, don't doubt it. <laughs> so how did you come to name yourself this alter ego of Empress? Okay, that is the best question. I love that we started with that because it, it is kind of like the pink elephant in the room. You're like, okay, you're going to call yourself Empress. You better have a story that... that, that oh, I dig it. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, well, I actually coming from the ballet and being an actress on Broadway and doing film and doing all of these, these artistic things, my music is the one place that I actually feel like I am the painter and the canvas and the paint and the frame and everything. It's, it's um, the first time that I felt very empowered as an artist. And I kind of felt like, um, like I owned it, you know, and it was, it was mine. And so I kind of did a self coronation and called myself Empress. And I called my music attorney when I first decided that I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to pick this name. Nobody's taken it. I called my music attorney. I'm like, what do you think of this name? He's like, I hate it. I'm like, great. I wanted a strong answer. Um, you know, <laughs> strong reaction. And, um, and he was like, no, why, why would you call yourself that? I'm like, well, I'm doing it because I'm the ruler over my life now. I'm not trying to rule over anyone else. And if I can inspire other people to be the ruler over their life, you know, and be the empress, um, you know, in their world or emperor, then I've done my job as an artist. And so, you know, for me, it's, it's a self-coronation. And I think that if we, um, you know, it didn't need to be passed down by someone else. It was mine all along. And I finally am wearing my crown and owning it too, you know? So that's, that's kind of the like little short version of the story. Oh, I, I love it because I love how you call it a self coronation because that's exactly what crown yourself and, and ruling yourself and really stepping into that space of ownership where if you're not trying to lord over anybody else, like we all are our own individual. I love to kingdom. think of like how the world would be if everyone owned their own crown. We wouldn't be pointing the finger so much outwardly. We'd we'd take a lot of the ownership of changing from within. And if everybody did that, I mean this would be a really beautiful place. I mean, you know, beauty comes from within. And, and so, yeah, if we, if we weren't always, um, 
I don't know, I played a queen all the time in the ballet. So it's so funny because in, you know, when you're telling stories, especially from the ballet, there's so many classic stories and you're telling these like, you know, age old tales about kings and queens and how they fell. And, you know, there's so much insecurity that comes with the crown if you don't own it. And if you actually like know about the, uh, or learn the history of the crown, the crown is always passed on. It's not owned by the king or queen. In fact, the que queens and kings in the past have been replaced, you know, because, you know, whatever. There's, there's lots of stories of how, um, you know, off with their heads and the next king steps in. So there's a lot of insecurity if it's not yours. So I think by owning it and actually doing the self coronation, it didn't come from somewhere else where no one's going to take it from you. There's it's yours. So I think that's, you know, it's really important. Um, it's an important thing to love yourself from within and put your own crown on. <laughs> yeah. And that the, the idea that, I mean, in the day, in the tales of all the Kings and Queens of the past, like they believe that it was their divine right to lead like and so often as us you know commoners um when we when we have that perception that like when we actually put on our like our proverbial crown there are all those insecurity doubts of like imposter syndrome and, and, and do i deserve this and am i right for this but meanwhile a true king or queen believes like if we're thinking of like from kings and queens of days gone by right they believed it was their divine right that that god birthed them into that family to have that crown on their head. Right. And what if we took that same perception into all of the work that we do, into all the roles that we play in our life? Right. Where you actually are not insecure by someone else. You you find your your secure insecurities from they're they're always put on you by other people. If you can kind of like push them away and just own it. I watched um this this show, this is how I came up with the We Own This Crown song, the single that I released last year. It was, was um, the song as to why I wanted you on this podcast. I love it. I, yeah. love, I love that song. It's, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, amazing moment where you realize like we all own our own crowns and they don't have to be um, the same. I mean, the cool part about the crown, we all have one. I mean, and it, it's, it's there without having like an actual physical crown. It could be your ball cap. It could be your scrubs. It could be, you know, a helmet. There's so many versions of a crown nowadays. And I think defining it um, by what we know in history of like what kings and queens did and stuff, that that's not you necessarily. You have to find your own version of that. And that's, you know, it's, it's self-discovery and it's a lot of fun, you know, self-discovery moments. <laughs> <laughs> and isn't the journey of self-discovery so fun? Yeah, it'll take you all over the place and, and it's worth it. You know, it's all amazing. So how did, how did ballet, because I was a ballet dancer as well. I didn't go pro, but I... Amazing. Yeah. yeah. No, you know, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, I was being Joffrey and then I was like, I'm not really loving this and I started down the eating disorder path yeah. but um that happens a lot. How, how did ballet groom you for this level of ownership that you have now well um i always say the ballet was the best thing for me at the time 
I couldn't do it now. Um, it's so hard. It's, it's like, you don't know how difficult it is until you get outside of this bubble that you're in when you're, when you're part of that world. It's just, you know, it's everything. There's so much pressure and things. And now, like, I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I was worried about like getting a, a role that didn't matter in the long run. And, you know, all of these things and like, wait, let's talk about weight for a second. That was really rough. I was hired at like 15, almost 16. So technically I was still a little girl and I went through puberty and turning into the whole woman thing um, while being in a ballet company, which was so difficult because I was punished for what my body, you know, it's a visual art form. I knew what I was getting into, but I was hired as a little girl and I transformed into a woman in front of, you know, a, a people that it matters what you look like. And so they, they were like, we, we wanted you to stay like that. And I was like, well, sorry, that's not possible. So, um, so I was taken out of roles. I was told, you know, you don't fit in with the other girls. Um, George Balanchine would never put you on stage. George has been dead for like, ever. I mean, it was always hiding behind someone else. They never said the F word, the fat, but I was fired for not fitting in with the other girls for a season and was, you know, just so bummed because it had nothing to do with my talent. It had nothing to do with how much love I was pouring into everything that I did. I love ballet so much. It was all based on, this is something that I think everyone can, can um, grasp, is it's um, we're all being judged on how we look on the outside. And, and that was really um, hard, at, especially at like the, you know, time of puberty and stuff. It's, um, it's very difficult to go through that. And I could have definitely gone the route of an eating disorder because that's, you know, you see a lot of eating disorders in the company. I was very naive to that in the beginning and I totally didn't understand it at all. And then I felt like, well, if I don't have an eating disorder, then how do I compete with these, these girls, you know, because they, they're rewarded for these eating disorders, the way that they look, they're so small. So I had a best friend in the company and his mother was, um, uh, at the time was diagnosed with cancer and she had three months to live and it was a really sad thing. So they told her to get your affairs in order. She decided to take an alternative route and change her diet and lifestyle. And she is 10 years cancer free now, which is amazing. Um, I know it's, it's incredible, but she went to, um, you know, raw foods and nutrition and changed everything to her lifestyle. She's very clean, you know, um, her food is as, as close to as nature intended it to be as possible. You know, it's like, so he was helping his mother out during this time by like trying new recipes and he lost so much weight. And he looked at me and he was like, I can't keep weight on. You should try this diet. And I was like, sold to the fat ballerina. You know, it was like, I was a real easy sell there. Um, Cause he was always eating like mounds of food and he was like so tiny. And so, um, so I changed my, my lifestyle and diet and I ended up having a very long career um, by being really healthy, which is amazing. And now, um, you know, like there's no weight fluctuations when you're eating really foods that like, you know, as close to as nature intended them to be as possible, it's, it's almost impossible to be fat. So that's what I discovered. Thank God, because the eating disorder thing, you know, it's everywhere in the ballet. It's on um, social media now. There's so many bullies. I mean, it's it's a very difficult, um, you know, it's it's just difficult for women, I think, because we're just judged by how we're, how 
we look on the outside and um and it's when I started focusing on what I what like the inside then I started becoming more beautiful on the outside for the ballet world's you know standards which is unrealistic (laughs) (laughs) true and yet ballet is it's it's got such an amazing discipline aspect to it and that's one of like my son he's three years old and he's in ballet class and like there's a discipline that goes into the work how how did you how does that discipline apply to the work that you do now in your art it's incredible the amount of work that and focus and mind body connection and just understanding like you know how to um, take care of yourself on a different, you know, level. Cause you're really, your body is, is your tool and you have to really keep that like tool sharp and, and, um, and in working order. But what's really cool. I think the, the one thing that I did really learn in the ballet was discipline. And that actually is, is like just focusing practice. I know that it takes a lot of time, energy, people. I mean, it takes a village to become successful. There's so many teachers that I've had over, you know, the course of my career and, you know, they all take full credit for me, but, you know, there's like a million of them that have given me these nuggets and I'm so grateful because they're all kind of um, this, this village that supports you. And then they like, you know, help you flourish and grow. So learning the little nuggets throughout my career like it, it's all discipline. That's like the, the baseline. But learning all of these nuggets, it's so easy to just take that formula and apply it to something else. Because, you know, whether I'm doing a startup business, I'm doing my music, I'm writing a book or doing something, you know, totally different, like playing pickleball or something, you know, it's, you can, you can really um, apply whatever you've learned from one thing to that's been successful to anything. That's what's like, you know, you just know that it's going to take a lot of dedication if you want to be good at something, a lot of focus, a lot of people saying no, and you have to scoot around them somehow. You get all your mentors. Um, you have to be open, open to, to change constantly, um, you know, and, and have like a good attitude through the whole thing, you know? <laughs> A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. And it, the, I call it the subconscious success strategy. Like it can shift forms. Like for me, when I reprogrammed my mindset from 10 years of bulimia without any psychological or medical intervention, I was able to, oh oh my gosh, I'm so grateful for that experience. I know, but it's still, it's like, oh, this society is so rough on women. It sucks. Challenging, yes. And the the beauty was, though, that once I learned that, once I learned the piece of how I can overcome and the discipline and the blocks and the beliefs and the habits, I could apply that formula to my business. I could apply that formula to relationships. Right. So the discipline, and I love what you said that it, of ballet, that you can still take that formula, the the key principles and put them into a startup. You can put them into your music and it it all, it's, it's never about the form. It's about the, the values and the things that you learn through those forms. Right. Totally. I mean, 
gosh, I just want to go back for a second and just say like, oh, I'm so sorry that you had that eating disorder. But again, it's like me being fired for being not fitting in with the other girls um, was, by the way, I didn't finish that story. I got rehired at the end of the year because my body changed. And then I yep. had an 11 year career after that. So, um, so grateful for that experience because it, it made me open to change where I wasn't necessarily going to be open to completely changing my food habits. And, you know, like it was a lot of work, but it was worth it because um, of the situation that I was put in, which could have been lemons, but I turned them into lemonade. And, you know, the rest of my future was uh, just so much brighter because of that dark experience, you know. But my mom used to always say, she used to say, uh, Shannon, you, oh, sorry, said my name, damn it. Um, <laughs> daughter of mine um <laughs> she used to say uh literally like you need some some bad days so that you know how great the good days are and you need to have the ups and downs in life if it's dark it's okay because now you're going to appreciate the light so much more so just having like you have to have a little bit of everything and there's going to be a lot of ups and downs in everybody's life but if you can enjoy the downs if you can actually find a way to enjoy them then the ups are going to be even more enjoyable <laughs> it's it's uh, all mindset stuff right like you have to you have to kind of try and see the good in, in everything in the bad guy you have to see good in the bad guy <laughs> yeah and that, that's why i think these archetypes that we learn in stories or in dance of the evil queen or the uh, the bad guy, like the great characters when actors and performers perform those roles, when they make them compelling, it's because they're actually, there's something in them that's relatable. Like right. nobody is all good. Nobody is all bad. Totally. We all have pieces. Right. And that's what makes us beautiful and human. Yeah. I love that. In acting class, they used to say uh, evil characters don't think they're evil. So if you're playing an evil character, you have to do everything like as if you were doing, you know, there's, you always find the good in, in the character and the reason why they would do something and, and make that like, you know, to, to do something bad, but thinking that you're doing it for the greater good of whatever, then, um, then you will make that character very compelling and very um, relatable somehow, you know, it's, it's hard to do, but yeah, it's definitely... That was part of the challenge of acting. <laughs> there we go. We had a little we had a little calendar invite to pop in. Right. <laughs> it's nice that you have a calendar invite. Gosh, the pandemic, it's been like a slow, it's been a slow year for a, a calendar invite. <laughs> For for me, it's it's uh all the all Zoom calendar invites. Oh, <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of jealous. I want to go somewhere and do something. Oh, man. So I'd love to switch gears as to American Paris. Like, how did you move from ballet and dance into Broadway? So this is a fun story because it um, it's sort of like the, the, the amazing experience of being on Broadway. It, was, it came from this, this experience that I had in the ballet. 
Um, I auditioned for this role in West Side Story Suite along with the entire company where they were looking for a singer in a ballet. It was like, never happens. Total, like that's when the stars just clicked into alignment, you know? Um, and I was the best singer in the ballet, which isn't saying much because we don't sing. So it was, um, it was really exciting for me, but I was so nervous to break the silence. It was like, you know, a silent world of ballet. And now I'm supposed to sing in front of 3,500 people for the first time ever when I haven't sung happy birthday in front of my family before. It's just, it was a big leap of faith for everyone. Um, and it went really well. And it was an incredible experience. It was kind of like walking the plank and then jumping off and realizing like, wait, I can fly. This is like, I, I have to do this. So I was singing on stage at the ballet for the first time ever. And in that performance, the, um, in the audience, this choreographer was sitting in the audience and he saw it. And that was the director and choreographer of An American in Paris. That happened in, uh, like nine or 10 years later, by the way. So this is like when you know that there's like, there is someone upstairs and they're like, we know what we're doing here. Cause my real audition was that day, but I didn't know what, I, I didn't know it. Um, that I was eventually gonna be asked to go to Broadway because they needed ballerinas who could sing and that's rare. And he remembered me. And so um, when they were casting it, I was asked to audition and I ended up getting um, a role in the ensemble to start. And then I worked my way up to uh, the lead in my first Broadway show, which is, you know, pinch me. I felt like such a princess, it was amazing. Just the experience of going from the silent world of ballet to this very loud city, loud people, exciting. It was like, you know, just, oh, it was just incredible going to the Tony Awards and um, just experiencing a new way of storytelling as an artist because it was for so long, um, as a dancer, I was, I was used to expressing myself without words. And now you have this new component of words. You can say things, you can sing, and you can dance still and act. It was like this whole new chapter of my life um, that was so exciting. And it was such a magical, magical experience. And, you know, it was a totally different experience as well, because eight shows a week. So I was not used to a marathon. I was more like a sprint runner instead of like a long distance and um, the eight shows a week was a new, that was a new challenge physically. It was a really hard show. Um, and so that was fun. That was fun to figure out how to like take care of my body through that kind of experience. Cause with the- How did you take care of your body going from yeah. ballet was, to, what was the difference? Yeah, well the difference was these accumulative injuries that you get from doing the same thing every day. And so, like after about nine months, my I broke my foot from doing this one step over and over again. And I kind of, I was complaining about it periodically. I'd be like, you know, this, this is really hurting my foot. And I started realizing that all the people that were doing that same step were also feeling similar things, but I was the only one that wore point shoes um, as well. So we'd like, you know, the term, so jete, grand jete. So we we're doing grand jetes, but in heels. So we were only able to land on like the metatarsal so yeah. eight i think we did like four or five of them every show and then after eight shows a week it was always like it would just 
you know, I'd get lots of physical therapy and then it would, I would do the show and then it would ruin it. So it was like one step forward, two steps back every day. And so after nine months, I actually broke my foot, but being in the ballet was so helpful because of the, um, there was always an, a solution. There's always some physical therapist or doctor or scientist, you name it, that can help with whatever injury you have. And there's always a solution, like physically. I mean, I told you about my friend that um, his mother was given three months to live and 10 years later, she's cancer free, but she had to change her lifestyle and her diet, but it was worth it because look, she's got this great life and she's, you know, cancer free, it's amazing. Um, but it takes a little work. And so what my, my schedule was like a lot of physical therapy, a lot of sleeping. I slept a lot on Broadway <laughs> and a lot of naps. And, um, and then like, just, I'm so grateful for this team of like, I call them my healers. Cause it's like doctors, therapists, scientists, uh, acupuncture, chiropractor. I mean, you name it. I have a great group of people around me that always keep me healthy no matter what I do to bang up my body they fix it you know so grateful for a great team and it's hard to find them but you know once you do you're just like keep them in your toolbox so yeah a lot of, lot of team. <laughs> sorry say that again having that self-care team is essential especially when you're Absolutely. performing at that level totally and there's like there's so many great um heal people out there that that know that you will come back to them, um, they'll fix you, but they know that like what you do for a living, you're still, you're always gonna be a good client, but they fix you. I think the, one of the struggles that I had um, finding good people was that they'd almost fix you so that you always have to come back. And with what, what I do for a living, I'm like, no, 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 you need to like just, I don't, I need to be fixed. So as quickly as possible, you know, please. And um, there's a lot of people out there that will do that. Um, and then there's a lot of people that won't. And they think of it as a long-term business plan to like kind of keep you almost healthy all the time so that you always have a reason to come back. Like I will come back because of what I do for a living. I'm like so, you know, physically abusive on my body sometimes. Like grangetes and heels. Who does that? <laughs> yeah. Grangetes and heels and you can't. No, eight times yeah. a week. It was rough, but they ended up, um, after, after I got injured, they ended up having to change that step for the whole company and everyone was very happy, <laughs> including me. <laughs> it was rough. So looking at the, at your self-care routine, what is your daily self-care routine and how is it different than the self-care routine that you have when you were on Broadway? Yeah, it's very different because I don't need like as much sleep. Um, I don't really need uh, as many snacks during the day. Cause when I was dancing, it was like, if you eat an entire meal, you're gonna just need a nap and you don't really have time for that. So, so I would eat like constantly at all the time, but it'd be like a handful of this and the apple and then a power bar and then the juice and the thing. It was just like constantly just feeding my body um, and meditating a lot and doing all of that. Now I, I, um, I'm pretty, I don't really, I'm not good at schedules, it turns out, because <laughs> my life has been kind of scheduled for me for my entire career. So um, I don't like to set like an alarm when I wake up. And so I can wake up just, you know, I sometimes I wake up at like 6am, sometimes it's like nine, 
there's no set time, but I do um, pay really close attention to like what's going on in here. Like there, if there's a song that I, that's going to be made or some, some idea, um, you know, I have to kind of be in tune. I know it sounds a little crazy, but I have, to, if I hear something in my head and I'm, I actually listen to it, I'm like, oh, I need to get to the piano. And so I run to the piano and sometimes I'll work for like 10 hours and just, you know, write a symphony or do something crazy. But, um, so I'm not good with like a schedule thing, but I eat when I'm hungry. I think that's always a good rule of thumb. If you're, if you're hungry, if you listen to your body and it's telling you you're thirsty, you're hungry, then time to eat. And you have to like really listen to what it actually means when you're hungry. Sometimes I'm like, I think I want chocolate cake. And it's like, no, you should have an avocado or. <laughs> <laughs> you probably need you know? a little magnesium instead of just yeah, the cake. Yeah. Maybe drink a glass of water before you, you make that decision. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so just like listening to your body. And, and um, that's, that's kind of my, my new taking care of myself routine. <laughs> How did you learn to operate in this sort of flow state? So the flow state of creativity now as you are writing and doing your own music. I just feel like it doesn't happen by um, me making it happen all the time. I mean, there is the, the like, I just got to do it. It's like taking your vitamins. You're like, okay, I'll just do it um because it's good for me and i need to you know or like taking ballet class or something it's like you don't always feel like taking ballet class to warm up your body but you you have to do it so that's that's just like part of it but when you get into the flow state it's like it's almost like you just let it happen as long i mean there's there's times like i'll wake up in the middle of the night and just i have to go to the piano and work even if i'm exhausted i'm like nope there something's happening and I have to make it I have to I have to actually wake up and do this but it, when you're in it you don't time doesn't matter like you're just in it you're just connected to some sort of energy that's flowing and giving you all the ideas and energy that you need and I sound so hippie right now <laughs> this is actually I love this conversation though specifically because I see there's, there's a dance between the, the discipline of the doing and like, I see the discipline in you. Like you've had, like, you've had to have that, especially being right. on Broadway eight shows a week is it's a lot. Yeah. Um, and yet there's also that balance of that flow and it's this, um, the polarity. And yeah. I talk a lot about it because when, when there are, when we have that sort of like more masculine energy drive, that ambition and then you combine it with the feminine uh, ability to receive and to have that flow, it opens you up so that you know that when you get those hits that you do, like the universe or God or source, whatever you want to call it, um, knows that you're going to take action on that. So like for me, it's when I'm, when I'm writing, like, I don't always like, there is the discipline of, yes, I'm going to sit down and write. And sometimes it's, crap and sometimes it's really good um and sometimes but sometimes it's that discipline of sitting down and I think of it kind of like sex like sometimes you don't like sometimes you're not in the mood initially yeah and then like you're going to be in the mood mood. yeah Yeah, and then the kisses and the flirtation you're like okay I can be down for that (laughs) 
Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I love that you just <laughs> made that comparison. It's very true. And you're right, though. There's you have to do the work, but if you force it, then it's um, it it it's there's something missing. There's like a missing ingredient. It's like not putting baking powder in your cookies or something. It's just they're not going to work. You know, you need you need a little of this to make something happen. And and um. You just have to be really like aware of your mind. I've realized this whole, especially being, you know, sheltered in place and, and working and stuff from, from home. It's like, you know, we do have to have like some kind of routine every day. Otherwise we're just like never going to get out of our PJs and you know, like life will never go on as, as it was before. But so there needs to be like some schedules, that structure, but then if you only have that, then there's no magic. So, it, you know, and that's kind of how, um, how it felt as an artist to be doing someone else's art. It's like, you have to have the structure, but if you're not fluid and like able to adjust and change your energy, then you're no fun to work with because, you know, choreographers are never going to want to work with someone that's just like a robot, you know? So there is some magic that happens in, in the, combining of the male and the female you know it's like the left and right brain um you know that you need both yeah yeah you need both and and that uh that ability to tap in i love the fact that you're that you being a performer and an artist that's that's where you found that dance in being able to operate that way were yeah. you always were you always really able to adjust and kind of flow with your art and your creativity even when you were you know doing ballet or on broadway question um i kind of have to think a little bit about that because i think so um but it also it came with like you know practice like thousands of hours of just like learning and being a dry sponge and kind of like starting to to suck up all the moisture that you can, you know, whatever the knowledge was the moisture for me. And I was just like, at first, I don't, I don't know if I was, or if it was just that I was so eager, I wanted to be. Um, but I really did learn how to become like a true artist where um, if someone's creating on me, that I found the balance of me still feeling like an artist and them having the creative control. Um, and now as a singer, songwriter, you know, I do, literally everything that I used to do, only it's not mine. It's so fun because I get to actually, um, like I said, be the painter and the canvas and have control over that paint and be the, where that, you know, where the frame is going and everything. It's like, it's so fun because um, it's, a, it's a new side of me as an artist that I couldn't really fully get into because it's not the right place for, for me to have, um, you know, like I can't take someone's choreography and then make it my own and still have a job in that entertainment <laughs> industry. So you, it's like, it's interesting. You find a way to make it your own, but you're the car and somebody else is driving it. Whereas now it's, you know, now it's all me and all the pressure's on me too, but it's fine because pressure is, you can only put your own pressure on yourself. And so I don't do that. <laughs> There's no reason to do that. Your mindset is, I, I just see the power of your mindset. And I, I want to ask, like, as you moved into doing the work that is all you and like, it's all of you, was there any 
intimidation of really going full bore with that? Or was there any fear or imposter syndrome that you experienced or doubt? Yeah, there's, there's always like those moments. And, and it's, it's more like frustrating, I think, when, when you realize that you are in control, and the only one holding you back is you. And so like, when you're frustrated at something, taking the ownership, it's really hard to do. And, and it's hard to accept on a daily basis is that I am who I am right now. And I'm feeling these emotions because of myself. You can't point the finger outwardly. You're having to always point it in and just like, oh, okay. So if I'm not happy, then what am I doing? You know, but yeah, the insecurities, those things come all the time, but you can't let them stick to you. Otherwise they're just going to like bring you down. And that, that self talk that we all do consciously or unconsciously is it's really important to just like listen to it and then, and then kind of edit. I had a lot of people in my life that were incredible editors of my thinking and even like body language. They'd be like, Oh, it's interesting that you just shook your head when you said you wanted something like, but you shook it like you were saying, no, you know, physically you're saying no and you're mentally trying to say yes. But like, what was that? You know? And I'd be like, Oh gosh, you know, I have to think about that now <laughs> you know, <laughs> to analyze it. But it, it like, if you really like, edit the way that you think, like writing, you know, you're like, okay, I'm not going to say this in a negative way. I'm going to try and find a positive way to frame it and say the same thing, but, you know, find the positive in it. Um, Then that's where the magic really happens. That's where the success happens. That's where um, the, uh, I want to say like the artist and the, um, and the, the canvas like meet finally, you know, it's like the editing of your mind. It's all in, in, you have control over it. That's, that's also part of the understanding. It's like you have to realize that you are the only one that can think for yourself. So taking ownership of any of those self-doubt talks and then editing them so that I'm just as positive as possible. And I try to do that on a daily basis because those things creep in. They creep, they're sneaky bastards. <laughs> and like things that like old things will pop up that you'll just be like, oh gosh, like it's, it's like a broken record, you know, I thought I was over it, but that just happened again. And I, it triggered me to like go backwards in time and relive it. And, you know, so it's this whole thing. It's like every day you wake up you try and stay positive. There's good, bad days, enjoy them, you know, as much as possible. All of the injuries that I ever had that I thought were like the worst thing ever were always the blessings that I needed to like build that team that would get me better, faster, when I was on Broadway or, you know, whatever, there's, there's always a positive. It's just, you know, sometimes if it's this close, you can't see the detail. So just have to be happy. Yeah. Getting that, getting that view and that perspective. Um, one of the things I, I regularly say is like, the problem is not the problem. The problem is your perspective. Mm-hmm. Totally. I love that. Of that perspective, you have the power to change your perspective mm-hmm. and you know, you can change your perspective on, on anything, on, on the way, you know, a song is formed or the, you know, COVID. <laughs> so yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's, 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 um, it's funny. Cause I feel like, especially with the COVID thing that a lot of people, um, are guilty if they're enjoying it. Like I, I feel guilty sometimes cause I'm like, I kind of love this shelter in place with my husband because we were always traveling and zigzagging and, you know, he's in California, I'm in New York and the whole thing, it was just like a lot of, of, of 
missing him. And now I don't have to miss him. He's here all the time and I'm here all the time and we're getting along great and we love it. You know, and like every once in a while I'm like, oh, but there's people dying and there's this bad stuff that's happening in the world. And then there's like riots and all of these things. And it's like, should I care about all the problems in the world? The answer is like, you care what, like you, you can care, but you can't take it all on and like wear it you know, where it really, and I think that a lot of, a lot of the guilt that we're all feeling is coming out in anger, and we have a lot more time to, to bully people on social media these days, and, you know, we're seeing a lot of, of um, aggressive anger and, and crazy people coming out of the woodworks, because I think we're all just like, we don't know how to handle enjoying something when we're not supposed to. Yeah, and I, and who says we're not supposed to? That's I mean, exactly that's- right. You know what? You're totally right. And, and, and maybe that's just like my, um, you, you said it a while, a few minutes ago. It's my perspective that just needs to change on the whole thing. Yeah. Cause I actually found that the, um, like there is that guilt that comes with like enjoyment. Like for us, we ended up in the gold coast of Australia and we just chose to grab an apartment here and be a block from the beach which for mm-hmm. shutting down Wow. And this has always been our dream to have our business and travel with our kids and be able to, to do, well, to do life around the world and learn from different cultures, see different perspectives. And I was like, so COVID really threw us into like our dream life and right. being appreciative and being able to have that happiness without having like happiness guilt because you're having joy in times of mass struggle. Right. Totally. A global pandemic, you immediately think like, oh, well, I can't be happy until there's not a, but we've had, I mean, I've been so creative, you know, creatively charged, but also I've just had so much more time to be creative. I'm so grateful for it. And just kind of like not always feeling like I have to go out and um, I mean, not being able to go out is like one of one solution, <laughs> but, um, but the, it's, it's interesting because yeah, I feel like, um, getting over the guilt factor of just being happy during a global pandemic is, uh, you know, that's a new chapter that we're writing as we go. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, I was just on a call the other day and we, I was talking about like, just imagine like the innovation and the creativity that's coming out of this time, like innovations of industries just got exponentially sped up. Mm -hmm. The tech industry in, and the entertainment. So the entertainment industry has been, uh, actually I'm not going to say the entertainment. I'm going to say the live performing arts, like the classical arts. So it's like opera, ballet, Broadway, even, you know, the symphony jazz centers, they are so slow to change. They, and it's so funny to me because, you know, Beethoven, Mozart, they were like rock stars in their day. And now we're still just like, you know, kind of not really doing what, I think if they were here, they'd be really upset that they're still being played from like four or 500 years ago. You know, it's like, what? Wait, no, I was innovative at the time. You need to be innovative, change. Be um, adaptable to to social media, to outreach programs that are different than just having to buy a ticket and go to a theater because they're being hit so hard. I was asked recently what I thought about, you know, the bailout for the arts. And I was like, you know what? I'm sorry. I think that it was time for them to change and they didn't. And I was giving them opportunities, for instance, like a few years ago, 
trying to get opportunities to connect the tech world with the with specifically the ballet and they didn't want it and it was so interesting to me because now that's the only way to see, you know show their beauty and uh, you know have an outreach program is all social media and they have been like this until they were forced to and the cool part about being forced to during a global pandemic they can't blame anyone because there's no one to take credit or get blamed for a global pandemic that completely shattered everything that they were protecting their classical arts shattered it and now they're forced into the 21st century um and and so that's it's a really good thing this is like it needed to happen it wasn't happening and now it just you know overnight changed which is incredible and i'm so glad to see that happening it's like finally you know people can't always get to a theater and now they won't be probably sitting in a theater for a while and so that change happened overnight it was amazing and they have so many archives of beautiful things that they've filmed over the years that now people are actually able to see which is amazing they weren't sharing it for so long and now that's the only thing that they can do. What are you most excited for for your industry in the next decade? In the next decade, I foresee, and I'm working on some projects, I can't talk too much about them, um, but one of them is going to be in VR and, and kind of putting a platform together for the virtual reality and entertainment industry. And, um, and I think that it's going to be really special because it's not going to replace the performing arts, it's going to enhance the outreach. So it's, it's, you know, you can only reach however many seats you have in a theater. And then those are fleeting moments that only last in your mind, you know? So if you can capture a little bit of magic that you would normally experience in a theater, um, you know, and, and share that with more than the number of seats there are in a theater, then I think that'll be really special for, um, it's, it's my gift to the performing arts to help them kind of create an industry um, and build it like an art, artistic um, platform built by artists. And I think that that's, that needs to happen. Just has to. Yeah, the innovation of, of like, I love that you highlighted the, the performing arts and the more specifically the classical arts right. because those there are so many people who aren't exposed to that and art form and it's scary to go into um a fancy you know theater like opera house or something for a lot of people it's intimidating which means you know that we're doing something wrong because for for hundreds of thousands of years not thousands of years thousand years at least people have been going to see theater and they've been welcomed it wasn't always you know the royals being you know entertained it like it became like a normal thing and in new york they do a much better job at making it um accessible to and not intimidating to go to see theater and broadway and you know i think broadway does a really great job at um at getting newer audiences that wouldn't normally go into a theater because they're not intimidated by it. And it's, it's all, you know, everyone's doing it. So it's kind of feels more, but in the, in the classical arts specifically, it can be very intimidating for a young child or very expensive to go see live theater. And so therefore you will not be getting new audiences, you know, but technology, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> playing fields for a lot of a lot of reasons but i'm very excited about the projects that we have cooking because 
it'll be it'll be very cool to have I think the left and the right brain kind of smushed back together because I feel like tech is going one direction and the entertainment performing arts live performing arts are going one if you could just kind of put them together the magic will really happen bridge that gap and make it much more accessible for kids Everyone. of all different ages yeah. and demographics to be able to, to go and experience it because yeah. it can it can be so transformative but i completely agree with you that there is that almost like level of elitism with yeah. some of the performing it's arts change and it's the same for museums you know people are doing they're trying to lower the the entry point to not just rich people see this. It's it's like this is for everyone, and we know that that the live entertainment industry is the driving force of cultural change, and we know that it's the beauty in the world that we all need, and it tells stories like on our like that we can understand and grasp, you know, grasp and um, and so it, those things that needs to continue. Um, I just think that there's so many other ways to share and be innovative nowadays. And so if I could help bridge that gap, then I did my job in life. Awesome. Yeah. I'm curious, when did you claim your power? Like when was this moment? Cause you have such a beautiful, powerful, grounded energy about you that is just like, when did you claim and like take ownership for all of the amazingness that is you? I think it's funny because it, I actually go back like as an adult to when I was seven years old and I had this, this like knowing, I just knew that I was going to be a ballerina I was going to be a singer and I was going to be an actress. And I was like, that's what I'm going to, that's, this is, I'm here on the planet to be an artist. And that is, I'm going to be the best artist that I can be. I'm not going to compare myself to anyone else, but I am going to be an artist. I just knew I was going to be on stage. And, um, and it's funny because I actually, as an adult, go back to that moment because my mom actually was the one who had, um, me write down my dreams and goals when I was seven. So she still has that piece of paper. It was very concise. Ballerina, singer, actress. It was like, done. I mean, most people have ballerina. And most little girls, I feel like, have ballerina on the list for a little while. But but I was like, oh, no. Um, I didn't even have ballet lessons yet. Like, the, and, and music was kind of always, always there. You know, at four years old, I started playing. And so, um, but I taught myself for a couple of years because I just had, you know, it was love for music. But um, yeah, I go back as an adult all the time to when I was seven, because I just knew, you know, what I was going to be. And it, it I, I like to say that it's concise. And it was like that one thing. But I like to go back as an adult, because I actually take what I've learned about those industries, you know, all the politics, the eating disorder for the ballet specifically, um, you know, injuries, the drama, the, all the, the, the things that you don't dream about when you're seven years old because you don't know about it. I like to take that into my, like, because I am a big goal and dream. I love writing down my dreams and goals, like, not just on the first of every year, but like all the time, all the time. <laughs> and redefining what that is. Cause the, the becoming Empress was this very, like I gave myself time to dream as an adult. I felt like it was really important to go back and be a seven year old, but taking all the knowledge that I know as an adult 
into my dreaming phase and like really because I know that dreams come true you have to ask yourself as an adult if you're dreaming big enough because there are a lot of things that I dreamed about when I was you know seven years old that weren't bloody toes ingrown toenails broken feet you know like there's you don't dream about those things you're like I'm gonna float and be beautiful and you know it's it's like you know you just don't know what you don't know but so now when I, when I go back to being seven, that's where I felt like I was the most grounded, but I like to take what I know from my, my life now and reframe it a little. I love that. And I completely agree that most people actually aren't dreaming big enough. Yeah. My favorite, my favorite quote from my favorite movie, The Greatest Showman, he says, that. most people suffer, men tend to suffer more from imagining too little than imagining too much. And I just got chocolate. I love that. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> and it's that imagination that just, I mean, when, when you're feeling uninspired or unattached or disconnected, it's probably because you're actually not tapping into that greater, bigger, grander dream. Right. You just maybe haven't allowed yourself to imagine yet. Right. Totally. And, and there's so many things that I feel like um, turned into a bigger thing, like not to put more pressure on myself, but I would start off with being like, I'm going to be a singer. Okay. Well, but I'm going to be what kind of singer, you know? And then I'd start going from there and then it became Empress. And then I was like, well, I'm going to start out my own record label just to, for tax purposes. And I was like, no, I'm going to start one that supports women in music. And then it was like, you know, and then it just turns into something bigger always. And it's, it's okay to allow that growth because otherwise, you know, you're just going to be going and you check these like, you know, ballerina check, actress check, you know, but, but if you can allow those things to like unfold and realize that they're much bigger than, than you in initially dreamed, then that's great. And also don't share your dreams with just anybody, share them with people that can help you, that will encourage you. I mean, I think the biggest thing is like, when you have this little dream and somebody just kills it. Yep. It, there were no roots yet. It was still this idea. I mean, every once in a while, um, I tell the story about my husband, who's, uh, he and I balance each, other as, uh, balance each other out so well. But every once in a while, I'm like, no, no, no. This is still a dream. Like, don't. No, we're not going to put any limits. We're not going to say that this won't work. Nope, don't do it yet. And he's like, oh, okay, well, can I, let me know when you want me to help fix the dream, you know, or like make it happen or something. And I'm like, no, 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 it's still in the dream stage. You know, it's like, we're still floating. Um, there's no roots yet, but let me, let me get some roots and then we'll talk there. But um, one time when I wanted to record my um, like demo, like a long time ago, um, I wanted, I envisioned myself in this massive like recording studio, like super fancy, big piano. And um, my husband was like, probably not gonna happen. I was like, don't, don't, mm -mm, it's gonna happen. I don't know how. Somehow the guy that I was using to rent his microphones, he um, had loaned microphones to Skywalker Ranch back in the day before they could afford to get their own microphones. So he was loaning these like, these microphones. So what they did for him was they gave him some dates in uh, like some days in the studio whenever he wanted. He could just, he had free days um, and he had never used them. He had like 18 of them or whatever. 
And so um, I didn't know any of this, but he calls me the next day and he's like, hey, let's just do it at, um, on the soundstage at Skywalker Ranch. I was like, are you kidding me? How much is that going to be though? Like that was the, that was my husband's question. It's like, oh God, how much is it going to be? Free. And it was because I just allowed myself to just be like, you know, free. <laughs> it was so wonderful. And um, so my first experience ever recording was on the soundstage on the nine foot grand piano with a microphone that they used to use like this. It was such an incredible experience. Um, uh, and, and if I wasn't open, if I really wanted to like know how much it was going to cost and do all these things. And I wasn't just like open to me dreaming and allowing that dream to happen. If I'd listened to anyone telling me like, yeah, right. That never happens. Then it wouldn't have happened. I, I mean, you just, you have to be open to dreaming big. And when the world want, or the universe wants to give you a bigger, bigger dream, you, and you're open to it. it yay. That's when the it magic delivers. happens. It delivers. It delivers. And I love I love the concept of the balance and the dance that you have with your husband of like, this dream does not have roots yet. And it reminded me of when I, when my husband and I were talking about getting pregnant, we weren't talking about it with everybody. Right. We were talking about it with ourselves. Yeah. We weren't with, with each other. And when we started trying, we didn't announce it to the world. Like there were a couple selective people that I had told like to, like that we're helping prep my body to like grow right. a human right <laughs> we wanted to wait till that human like was actually inside of me and not just like in the ether and in the awareness of like our discussions totally i think that that's exactly like every other dream though is waiting for it to have those roots before you really start letting more people know into it. Right. Because I'm a big proponent of sharing your dream, like sharing the big goals, the big dreams, yeah. Oh, yeah. but it's got to have those roots first or else it's kind of like the pie in the sky. Yeah, thing. totally. And, and it just is so much easier to, um, you know, like squash a dream if, if, uh, if it's, if it's new and you're like, you feel like it's a, you're sharing you're like naked basically you're like you're sharing something that's very uh sacred with somebody that doesn't care um right away you know always uh, and and it's not their dream so also people will put their dreams onto you as well and that's difficult to you know have to put that wall up but you have to do it otherwise it's not um some sometimes the dreams will come from someone else's perception of your dream and their experience and and that's not actually what it is and so those dreams when they actually manifest are never as exciting or um you know they're not what you expected because that wasn't yours you know so you really need to take time i think as an adult especially knowing what you know and trying to keep a little balance because it can't just be all dreams you know it has to be like kind of like okay well how you know what schedule budget all the things that like you know, we have to think about, but, um, you know, like allowing yourself as an adult to dream big is huge. And that's what, that's, that's my baseline of who I am. It's like constantly dreaming. And most of the time those dreams come true when I've really done a lot of, I've put a lot of energy and thought into, into that dream and defining what that looks like and how it's going to work. And, you know, it's fun. Dreaming. It's so 
It totally can happen. I never thought I would wind up in the Gold Coast of Australia. Yeah, look at you. I love it. And you know, actually, one, one quick story that I just thought about too that um, I have never shared, I don't think. So the Broadway show was, I auditioned, and normally what happens in an audition for Broadway is like you hear back pretty, I didn't have an agent or manager or anything doing this for me. So I just figured the casting director was just going to call me the next day and offer me this great job. And I had been telling my, um, uh, I call him Master Yoda, but he's my massage therapist for like 13 years. He, and I saw him once a week and said, he, he sees me in snapshots, you know, once a week for my whole career. And he was the one that like helped edit my, my thoughts, you know, over the, the course of the year. So I, um, I would tell him, I was like, when I go to Broadway, I'm going to buy myself a Chanel purse. And he was like, Chan uh, I almost said it again. He was <laughs> like, I think you should live life as if you've already received the gifts, right? So like, you're, you should not wait to buy that Chanel purse. This is like the best, worst advice ever, by the way, because like I could buy a Chanel purse all the time for things that won't happen. But that you'll love this because he was like, buy the purse and the Broadway show will happen. And I was like, okay. So it took me a little while. I found the purse. I ordered it online. The day, actually the minute that it was delivered, the door, you know, knock. I was on the phone with the casting, no, with the um, director of the show inviting me to be a member of the ensemble and, you know, potentially the, the lead of it, you know. And I was shocked i mean it was like good job slow clap universe like that was good because <laughs> it was like hang on sorry i have someone at the door um you know getting my contract on broadway and i opened the door and it's the chanel about i mean i was like you can't make this stuff up it's amazing so living life as if it's like going back to when i was seven years old and i just knew i was going to be a ballerina an actress and a singer you know kind of like around in that order I kind of was realistic that way too it's like well ballet because your body doesn't last very long and then you can be an actress for when you're young and then singer forever so that's the order that I kind of did it in but um but like I go back to that seven-year-old self and I go she knew like she knew that this was going to happen and it doesn't take the excitement out of it when it happens it just you know I was still really excited when I had that Chanel bag and I also had my job on Broadway it was amazing same moment Awesome. I love that. Now let's move into a little rapid fire because damn, I don't think we could end on a better <laughs> note. <I love> that, <laughs> Chanel purse. Chanel purse. <laughs> Bob on Broadway like manifested because it already was. Like, yeah, it was. Love it. Oh, I love it. So who was who your favorite character in a movie or a book and why? Uh, Harry Potter because he is awesome. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> what woman would you want to trade places with just for a day? Ooh. Okay. Um, I'm going to say Michelle Obama. <laughs> I, I literally, I was like, she's going to say Michelle Obama. I have a feeling she's going to say, I thought that right before you said it. <laughs> she's amazing. I love her. <sighs> so great. What, if your palace had a swear jar... How much would you have to put in it on a daily basis? Ooh. If it was a swear jar and I was putting in a quarter, let's say, I would probably put in $3. <laughs> and how would you reinvest that money? 
Ooh, three dollars. I would. Um, I would. Let's see. Probably give it to a homeless person because we have a lot of those in San Francisco right now. <laughs> homeless. Yeah, I'm originally yeah. from LA, so yeah, yeah. It's a big problem in California. Big problem. Yeah. How do you define your kingdom? Ooh, it is a kingdom where everybody is their own is the ruler of their their own life. So nobody needs anything from anyone. Nobody, everyone just gives because they want to. And uh, that's, if everyone was the ruler over their own life, I think that'd be a really cool kingdom to live in. If you could have your success at twice the speed, what would you change? Ooh, twice the speed. I would have done like everything faster. <laughs> so I guess, um, yeah. I. I wouldn't change anything really in my life, but if I could have done it faster then yeah, totally. Like <laughs> I've done the same thing, but I would have now been retired and rich and done, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like I'd be dead. Like it would be, it would be I would already like, this wouldn't be, we wouldn't be having this conversation though. So see, now I can't say I wanted anything to change the right timing. Right timing. It's all about the right timing. And lastly, <laughs> how do you crown yourself? Ooh, how do I crown myself? I, um, you do it by kind of giving yourself a little extra time in the morning to look in the mirror and say, I love you to yourself. I think that's, that's the real coronation is loving yourself. Oh, <laughs> I love it. I adore you so much. Like, I, where can we find so you? How can we support you? Thank you. Um, I also want to support everyone that, like, if I can just support everyone by you following me, then I can follow you back. Empress.music uh, is my Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, everything. So Empress.music is my handle. And then find me on social media um, or on, on my website, www.empress-music.com. And listen to my music and share and, and I will love you back. And definitely listen to her song, We Own This Crown, because you will see why it is a theme song. <laughs> theme song. It really is. And by the way, if I can ever do anything for you, you are amazing and I love you to death. So just let me know if you ever need anything. You can use my song as your theme song, whatever you want. Like it's, it's meant for you for each one of us, you know? So it's amazing. You heard it here first, people. <laughs> you heard it. Use it. I love when people share and use, you know, they, they, um, they listen to the music and it becomes theirs, you know? That's, that's the whole point. I love that. Empress, it has been, I was about to say your, your alter ego name. <laughs> <laughs> It's been such a pleasure having you on. As always, Princess and the Beers, own your throne. Mind your business because your reign is now. When the queen walks in, the oceans part. Now the games begin. Now we all dive in, dripping with diamonds. And a hint of sin, hanging from the chandelier. Energy vampires waiting to feast on fears Can't see her shield, invisible force field
so much for tuning in today. If what you heard resonated with you, be sure to subscribe and share your breakthroughs and ahas with me by leaving a review on iTunes so I can keep the magic flowing your way. And if you aren't already following us on social media, come experience the extra inspiration and queenly convos on Instagram at crown yourself now or visit our website at crownyourself.com. I am so excited to connect with you in the next episode. And in the meantime, go out there and create a body, business, and life that rules.